Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Shiel Manat, the fintech partner at 500 Startups. Shiel also founded another podcast called The Pitch, which is kind of like the podcast version of Shark Tank. It's really good. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about starting his career at BCG and how he became an entrepreneur and now investor. Fame J. Rank. Sorry, I have no idea how that's supposed to be said. He made a post titled, You Know You Have Made It When... dot dot dot. There have been some very funny comments. Walker, Texas banker, says, When you don't have a seamless budget. Reap God had some great ones. When you have enough office clout to rock pinstripes without looking like a tryhard. Muzak, man, all the names are hard today. He said, when you can continually load up your cart at Whole Foods and not blink twice at the register. Draper, Spectre, and Co., you are actually paying for your own Netflix account. That's funny. And Gun Gun said, when people look at you, then your wife, and are confused until they hear about your job. Okay, let's get into this topic. It's an interesting one for me. I've spent the last few years really trying to discover what provides fulfillment for me or makes me happy. It's funny. I think I've talked about this here and there, but I spent the first 24 years of my life singularly focused on working in investment banking, much like a lot of you. And when I finally got the job, I didn't like it slash wasn't very good at it. That's a hard concept to come to terms with. What the hell am I supposed to do then? It's taken me a while to figure it out, and I'm still not quite there, but I'm on my way. So I left banking to go work at a digital media company. I thought that maybe could be my calling. Not really. So I went to business school to figure it out, and boom, I need to be an entrepreneur. I wake up now hungry to start the day. While I'm barely making any money, I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing what I was put on this earth to do. I'm good at it, and I'm more fulfilled now than I ever was in banking. I've always been an entrepreneur. I was the car wash kid, the lemonade stand kid. I was selling crap door to door. I always had money growing up. Then I got caught up in chasing prestige, a job that other people put a lot of value on, that's sexy, that pays you a lot, but it was never right for me. It screwed me up for a long time. I compared myself to my buddies I worked at Houlihan with. They were getting these big private equity jobs. And I fell right into the trap, continuing to chase the elite jobs that that really just, they weren't right for me. That's the problem. 
You can't compare yourself to anyone else. I know it's hard. These guys that I was working with, they were just out of school, getting these massive jobs. And I was like, damn, now I don't give a shit. I'm on my own path. Careers are long. We're all going to be living till we're 100. Probably be working 60 plus years. To think that a couple year period is messing up your career, that's insane. As long as you're progressing every day, getting smarter, in better shape, more connections, those things pay dividends in the long run. Stop comparing yourself to others. I know it's fucking hard. Delete Instagram. It's bullshit. Nobody's life is that good. Okay, let's get into some other real comments from the post. No job prospect in sight. (laughs) Good title. Says, this is so hard to focus on when you're surrounded by people of your same background doing a thousand times better than you. This is exactly what I'm talking about. We're not all going to achieve great shit at the same time. You can be a late bloomer. That's totally fine. Sun Tzu says, you're confident and content with the person you have become. You have many achievements to look back on due to your hard work and grit. And you have a great dog. I love that one. I have a a golden doodle that's named Smith. My favorite show now, Billions. When Axe and his wife, Lara, are getting divorced. She's getting $300 million. And she says, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it doesn't sound like enough. Are you kidding me? Why is it not enough? Because she's comparing herself to others and not focusing on what she actually needs to be happy. It's not easy to stop comparing yourself. It's something I work on every single day and I still struggle with. When I see crazy scooter startups raising hundreds of millions of dollars and my company is struggling just to raise anything. It's hard. Being grateful is the trick. I used to have an alarm on my phone a few times a day that reminded me to be grateful. Now, before I go to sleep every night, my wife and I just list off a few things that we're grateful for. It can be literally anything. I'm grateful that I'm breathing. I'm grateful that I'm married to you. I'm grateful that my pillow is comfortable. Or I'm grateful I had a good conversation today or that you know something in my business worked out, or that I learned something, or I had a good, nice cup of coffee, whatever it is. We all have so much to be grateful for, even if our life is not quite where we want it. Focus on the positive, and everything else will figure itself out. Okay, I'm done. Let's get into the interview. Okay, Sheil, your Twitter calls you Sheil Blockchain Manat. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that was just a joke, because... Uh, you know, whatever, a few months ago, all these uh, public companies added blockchain to their name and increased their market cap substantially. So I thought if these public companies can do it, maybe I could do it too. Yeah. Did your net worth quadruple? It did. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, that's good to hear, but it makes sense because you're also a big time fintech guy, founder, now investor. You run... 500 startups, fintech investing group. So I'd love to hear how you came to that. Yeah, sure. Like the long story, my college onwards or, uh, Uh, you know, like whatever, wherever you think usually, yeah, sometimes we start like at college and they think, Oh, I was going to be, go work for a big company. And then I got screwed over by a big company. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I, um, 
I went to Carnegie Mellon in my hometown of Pittsburgh. I uh, ended up working in software, healthcare software, right afterwards. Um, I made software for hospitals. I liked uh, I liked parts of it. I didn't like parts of it. So I ended up um, switching careers a little bit into management consulting. And after a while, I wanted to switch it up again and do something to give back. And so I uh, and some friends of mine started a, a nonprofit called Kiva. And I said, hey, let me hop on board. I became one of the first employees of Kiva. Kiva is a website where individuals from around the world can lend as little as $25 to individuals in the developing world for the sake of alleviating poverty. Um, so it was a really cool website. It was my first exposure to startups and to Silicon Valley and to fintech. Uh, even though it's a nonprofit, you know, it's based in San Francisco. We have folks like Reed Hoffman on our board and is really operated like a Silicon Valley startup. And, you know, we're making small loans to individuals in the developing world, but along the way there are wire transfers, it's a loan, there's all sorts of fintech involved. Um, after that, I actually um, went back to consulting for a little bit in Chicago. Uh, I was at a, a firm called BCG, primarily serving financial institutions, insurance companies and banks, that sort of thing. And then left uh, when a friend of mine from BCG left to start a company, asked me to join him. So uh, I did. And that was uh, now, gosh, uh, eight and a half years ago. Uh, did that uh, a company called Fee Fighters. It was a payments company. We started out uh, where doing a reverse auction for payments where merchants give us a few pieces of information the processors bid against each other for the business. Um, and we actually went deeper into payments. So we became a payment processor ourselves, kind of similar to Stripe. And during that time, we'd raised a small seed round, 1.6 million bucks. And we were going for a Series A. Um, Groupon approached us about investing in our Series A. And then said, "Hey, you know what? We actually want to acquire you." Um, it was a it was a pretty good offer, so we, we took it, and we got acquired by Groupon. Effectively, you know, kind of like right before we launched our second product, and um, that that was really great. Allowed me to, um, I actually moved to San Francisco, um, and started pretty actively angel investing around that time in 2012. Um, after that, I stayed on at Groupon for a couple of years, but also started working on a couple of side projects. Um, one of them is a food company called Thistle. We uh, make we're a meal delivery company, but not a meal kit delivery company. So we don't you don't have to cook the food after we send it to you. You um, it's just like healthy food prepared prepared and delivered to you. So the, the inspiration there was um, when I was working as a consultant and my other co-founders, one was a lawyer, one was a banker, we found ourselves choosing, um, cho choosing convenience over help. So it's like, you know, you're, you're working really hard. It's easy to grab a burger. Um, it's 
harder to get healthy food. So um, I said, hey, you know, if the food was already in your fridge, you'd probably eat it. And it has worked out really well. We have, you know, now tens of thousands of weekly subscribers um, ordering food from us and getting it delivered. And, and a lot of people are ordering all their meals through us. So it's, it's been kind of cool to see the evolution of that company. Um, we're primarily in the Bay Area, but also in L.A., and it's been fun. Now we have a, a ton of celebrity customers, which is cool. Um, but our price is very affordable. Um, you know, you can get a meal for, for 12 bucks um, delivered. Uh, let's see. Other than Thistle, I started an auction company. The auction company, um, we sell large assets. We started out selling top-level domains. Like, think about, like, dot blog dot app dot life dot church you know all these all these sorts of things and uh then we uh and that's a very interesting discussion on its own but it'd take a while to explain uh and i came to 500 startups um basically because i was personally investing in a bunch of these startups had um sent some over to 500 which they invested in or or vice versa and um you know, we had a good relationship and they asked me to join them. So at 500, I run FinTech. I run a separate fund dedicated to FinTech. We invest um, small amounts of money. Typical first check is 150K. We don't have more than one and a half million bucks in any one company. And it has gone really well. Um, we have now 45 plus uh, um, portfolio companies and uh, they sort of span the gamut of fintech. There's wealth management, insurance, uh, personal finance, blockchain, um, crowdfunding, and probably missing some others. But uh, yeah, we've uh, we've done a lot in in fintech. Wow, Shield, that is an impressive story. A lot, a lot of things I could go off of there. Really, really interesting. I guess the first question will be. You're obviously very sophisticated and knowledgeable about fintech. Why do you get into meal delivery? Is it just a cool <laughs> yeah. Is it, yeah. Um, so it was just a interesting opportunity. Um, I think fintech is definitely where my passion lies, and I don't think I will probably do another startup in the food or logistics space. It's just like not, not me as much, but we saw an opportunity to serve a need that we wanted to try it out and it ended up working out. Um, the cool thing about the business is we, um, we have not raised much money uh, for, how, for how big the company is. Uh, and a lot of our competitors in the meal delivery space raised a ton of money and flamed out. Um, We've effectively been bootstrapped. A very small amount of money has gone into the company, and you know now we're now we're supporting 220 employees. So it's kind of a cool, cool project. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it happened randomly. Friends of mine wanted to do it, and I said, sure, let's do it. Uh, but probably not what I would spend time in in the future. Right. But when they came to you, did you think, oh, you know, this is 
a way that I can challenge myself. I can learn a new, a new industry, a new skill set. I can see if I can be successful outside of fintech. Like, was there more motivation than that? Or it was just a banker and a lawyer brought it to you and you said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do it. More that I just, yeah, kind of that. I, I said, hey, let's, let's do it. Let's try it out. Um, I mean, the, the nice thing is, like, when we started, it wasn't necessarily a company as much as it was a project. It was, let's figure out what the economics of these other companies are. We put a small amount of money into it. We said, hey, um, if this doesn't work, at least we would have learned about the economics of this business. It was a small enough amount of money plus our time but it was totally worth doing. And then, you know, over time it turned into a business. Got it. So you see this more in startups than you do in established big companies, but you know, you worked across a few different industries. Do you think it's a skill set that you got at BCG? Was it something you're born with, like just having an internal drive? You know, can you speak to some of these things that allow you to be successful in the startup world? Yeah, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's one, one thing in particular, but I do think um, certainly analytical skills help. So BCG um, was probably helpful in some way. I do think um, I've always been interested in sort of building stuff. Um, you know, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to, wanted to start companies, would always do some stupid, stupid um, stuff around the neighborhood, uh, you know, to make money. I was a DJ and, and uh, would fix people's computers, stuff like that. So I think I always was interested in doing stuff um, on, on the entrepreneurial side. Um, and, and although now I'm an investor, you would say maybe not as entrepreneurial. Actually, I think, you know, the way we run things is very different. And I, I like to think of myself as an entrepreneur, although I realize that that itself is probably what every VC says. So Maybe I'm just like, uh, maybe I'm just listening to too much of my own bullshit. So yeah, you're talking about having an analytical mindset, having a curiosity, and also just kind of being, I guess you could call it a doer. It's something that I like to talk about a lot, being a doer, just not really knowing what you're doing, but just waking up and putting one foot in front of the other and trying to accomplish things. Yeah, I think it's mainly just uh, not being a, yeah, I think that's totally right. Um, I think it's mainly just like not being afraid of failure. Um, like I just never really cared that much if, you know, I always felt like, Hey, even if we fail, we're learning. So we might as well try. So anytime we had an idea, we'd give it a shot. And as long as we were passionate enough about it, um, it was worth our time. So, yeah. Okay. So that might be something I don't know, maybe you were born with that because most people don't have that. They're, most people are pretty afraid of failure. They have it, you know, I, this idea in their head that they fail, they're going to become homeless, they're going to lose all their relationships, but it's never really going to be quite that, that dire. Maybe, you know, you'll fail and you won't get to go out to eat as much or, you know, you'll have a tough time making your mortgage payment, but it's not, it's not quite as bad as usually people make it up to be. Yeah, I think that's right. Um... Yeah, I, I, I never, I don't think failure is that bad. I sort of also think, you know, the reality is for most people starting a company, um, even if you fail, like what's, like I was working at BCG. So like if I fail, what's the worst thing that happens? I go back to BCG 
and I'm making, I don't know, $150,000, $200,000 a year to work as a consultant, that's not failure. That's like a great life by most standards. So, um, you know, I think the failure is just like in the eyes of maybe themselves or, or, or their families, et cetera. But, uh, for me, for whatever reason, that was never really an issue. Right. So, I mean, put on your investor hat now, I guess you would probably, not probably a hundred percent like to invest in someone who's failed versus someone who's never tried. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, because I think you, you learn a lot from failure and, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks out there who folks that I've seen in the startup world who you just say, this person is really smart, but maybe they should not be an operator. Maybe they should just be working at a big company. Right. And is that, what do you think is the difference between those two people? Um, I think it's like really having the drive to be a startup person. You have to be, I think the most important thing is like very scrappy. Um, you know, you have to be able to make a little bit of money, go a really long way. And, and that's, you know, I kind of really like the scrappy entrepreneurs myself. Um, which is not to say that that's the only model that can be successful. There, there are, you know, there are a ton of startups that raise a ton of money and still have success and, and are spending a lot of money and, and have success. It's just not the type of entrepreneur I, I tend to invest in. Um, so, you know, I'm looking for folks that are scrappy, can, can make stuff happen. Um, and that's sort of the, I think it comes from, that's how I like to think of myself. And uh, those are like the folks I like to, I like to invest in. Yeah. You, I hear that a lot on this podcast and in life. Investors are looking for someone who can break down doors, kick through walls and just not take no for an answer. They're going to be determined to see their vision out. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So, Sheila, I didn't know if you know this, but this is a podcast. You also have your hands in another pretty successful podcast uh, called The Pitch. Uh, I got to hear about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so this is while running the auction company. I was pretty actively angel investing. But one day I was at home during the day. I think I was sick or something. And I just turned on um, Shark Tank. And I got pretty hooked. I watched like several episodes and I don't watch much TV, but I was like, Hey, this is interesting. I like the way the entertainment value of this, but this is not reality. I kind of looked into it and the majority of companies that get funded on shark tank do not actually get funded in real life. So it's kind of a, a sham. And also that's not how real businesses get funded. So I thought, what if I could just, set record um, on my on my laptop and record some of the pitches that founders give me because I was you know I was actively angel investing um, so that's that was the an original inspiration and so we started out that way uh, I guess now three years ago and um, I ended up finding a guy Josh Muccio who was doing a podcast called the Daily Hunt and uh, re- regards to with uh, regards to uh, product hunt and I said, hey, do you want to do this with me? 
So we originally started out doing one episode every couple of weeks, and it was originally just me uh, meeting with the startup, recording it, and putting it online. And then uh, we'd have like a celebrity each time who would, uh, at the end of the episode, they would listen to our recording and kind of give their feedback. So we've had folks like Dave McClure, Brad Feld, you know, a lot, lot of folks like that um, on, on our podcast. Um, and then we evolved it into the other folks who were in the room with me, and then we evolved it into more of a studio setting where we did a bunch of, uh, we had a bunch of folks on at the same time uh, in a studio with the startup there. Um, and let's see. So originally with that, we got traction actually on Product Hunt. I think we got 10,000 subscribers off the bat from Product Hunt, which was really, really solid for us. And then um, eventually we got an Apple feature. We were featured at the top of the podcast app, and that was really huge. We got, you know, hundreds of thousands of listeners. And uh, around, it was like January, February of last year, Gimlet Media approached us and said they wanted to buy us. So we thought, hey, that's really cool. We sort of came to terms and... Um, it happened actually in February, but we didn't announce it until June of last year. And it has gone really well under Gimlet. I'm not really very involved, um, mainly because I don't have the time and it doesn't really fit in with my... I found that it was it was great for me to get, um, to build sort of a reputation built that was good for PR, but... but uh, now that I'm focused entirely on fintech, it didn't make as much sense. So I'm not uh, I'm not on the show anymore. Although I may do I may do some episodes in the future. Cool. Well, that was fun to hear. I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, it's actually why one of the reasons why I reached out to you. But so congratulations on that. Congratulations on all the success. She, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this. You're graduating from Carnegie Mellon all over again. Do you pursue the same path? What do you tell yourself? You know, having this ex- experience now, where do you where do you go? Yeah, I think it's mainly, and this is true to anybody. I say not anybody, but like probably, I would guess that the listeners of your show like are very well qualified. Will always be able to get a good job. Just remember that, like. You probably, like, you know, you probably went to a good school. You probably will always be able to get a job somewhere. So why not try something else and figure out if you are an entrepreneur or, or try something that's a little bit riskier. You don't have to start it yourself. You may not have the idea, but jo- join somebody. Join, join an early startup and figure out whether that's for you. Um, I, you know, it was very rewarding for me. I think a lot of people ask uh, a lot of BCG alumni, for example, give you know reach out to me on the on the thread and say, "How did you get from BCG to venture capital? That's something we want to do." And like that's not the right you know. Of course, I have a path, but my path is not right for everybody. Figure out what makes sense for yourself. Um, and you know, people in my position often put down working in banking or consulting. I don't think that I have no reason to put it down. I think it's great for the right person. Um, for me, I think 
this path was better, but uh, maybe I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't gone through it. So I definitely don't knock those professions. And it's funny, my um, two of my best friends, you know, when I worked at BCG, uh, we lived together, actually. One worked at, at Bain, one worked at McKinsey. And those two guys are partners at Bain and McKinsey. And I, you know, was out of there in a year and a half. So uh, I still have very good friends at those places and at banks. And, and I think that um, you can have great careers there. And it definitely is a path that is less, uh, there are less ups and downs with that path. Um, so for a lot of people, that's the right way to go. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic to hear. Sheila, this was a lot of fun hearing your story. I love speaking with you. Thanks so much for doing it. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends. Thank you.